in this episode of the Live Damn Well podcast. Obviously, the gut microbiome is involved in pretty much everything. I mean, from cancer risk to neuropsychiatric disorders. The bad bacteria can actually make the good bacteria bad bacteria. So how we say it in, in medical terms is that uh, non-pathogenic bacteria can actually become pathogenic. So it's almost like these two guys come up to each other and the bad guy says, hey, you want to be like me? I'm cool. I hang with the cool kids. And the good guy says, okay, sure, that looks fine. And then boom, they exchange genetic material. And now the, now the good guy's a bad guy. So by cultivating a healthy microbiome, we are able to keep inflammation levels low and not high. If they get too high, then we start developing problems and diseases or conditions. My name is Jorge Roman, author of Return to Human, certified health coach in training, metabolically flexible individual, and insulin-sensitive human. In this podcast, I will relentlessly ask, why is there so much conflicting information about health, nutrition, and lifestyle recommendations? Is there more to the story? Or are those individuals involved with natural and alternative health simply a bunch of pseudoscientific quacks? I will often have solo episodes discussing relevant scientific research around nutrition, supplementation, and powerful lifestyle practices. I'll also occasionally plug my health coaching programs shamelessly. I'll also be interviewing thought leaders from all walks of life in an attempt to discover what truly makes someone sick or healthy. Now I will do this all with no agendas, no ideology, no BS, just the truth. Regardless of the fact that one, it'll be very difficult to do, and two, I will inevitably trigger and anger some narrow-minded and myopic individuals. Now to live damn well doesn't simply mean living life perfectly. We're all going to die someday, so striving for that ultimate health is a pretty counterproductive goal. Rather, I hope to learn from myself and empower others to fulfill their purpose and enjoy life to the fullest, all while being disease-free, energetic, and in total control of their biology. Learning to take responsibility for yourself, staying true to your deepest commitments, and enjoying life to the fullest is what Live Damn Well is all about. I believe humanity already has all of the tools to create a life which is disease-free, joyful, and highly fulfilling. Now we need to do the hardest part, cutting through the divisive, arrogant, close-minded BS which holds us all back from creating the world we deeply desire. Thank you for joining me on this journey and I hope to serve you on yours. Welcome to the Live Damn Well podcast. My name is Jorge Roman, and my guest today is Dr. Marvin Singh, a board-certified physician in internal medicine, gastroenterology, and integrative medicine. He was previously a clinical assistant professor at UCLA and was also an assistant professor of medicine and associate director of gastroenterology at Johns Hopkins University. Dr. Singh, it's a pleasure to have you on the podcast. Thanks for having me. So a common theme that I've started seeing from researching and interviewing some health professionals right now is the fact that many physicians often find it difficult to be healthy themselves. And on your website, you explain that, you know, if you, a physician who is very well trained, didn't feel healthy, there had to be something missing from the health puzzle. So how did this realization influence your career in medicine and specifically your interest in the microbiome? I think, you know, I started learning about integrative medicine and um, nutrition when I 
did this fellowship in integrative medicine after I had already finished all my training and was working as a you know full-fledged doctor and um, I started applying some of these principles to my own health just almost as an experiment and realized that wow there there is a lot that's really missing from uh, how we approach health because I thought I was pretty healthy you know um, instead of eating burger and fries for lunch like most people I would have a sandwich and a bag of chips you know, maybe there'll be some carrots on the side too, but, um, you know, and I would have Coke zero instead of uh, regular Coke because, you know, the zero calories is much better for you. But really, you know, um, uh, the way that the food industry is designed here in this country is uh, even the smartest of us can get fooled with what's actually healthy and good for you. And when I uh, started learning about it, it really kind of changed my you know, whole viewpoint on how we take care of ourselves and um, doing the fellowship really helped bring some of that to the forefront. And then I started writing on the topic as well. Um, I just immersed myself in the literature and um, I've written some book chapters and articles and things like that. And that whole process really helped me understand how, how different things can impact us uh, more than I thought before. And I'm a gastroenterologist, so I guess uh, my mind gravitated to the gut microbiome because that's my key organ. So um, I, I focused on learning that one the best uh, first. So what were some of the symptoms that you were having as you started to, to research more? The symptoms that I was experiencing or what, what my personal health was like? Uh, right. Well, you know... Um, I wasn't really very symptomatic, but I, I was uh, probably 30 pounds overweight and um, had some heartburn once in a while, um, uh, maybe some fatigue, uh, you know, but uh, who knows, I'm a busy doctor too, so that could be a tough, tough one to address for a doctor running around. Right. But, um, you know, nonetheless, I think those were some of the uh, main things I was experiencing and um, a lot of that kind of started melting away slowly um, when I changed my lifestyle uh, habits. When I immersed myself in the literature, I found that uh, all of these lifestyle habits that we talk about, you know, eating healthier, eating more vegetables, exercising, sleeping, meditating, avoiding toxins, all of those things um, actually uh, can change our microbiome, can impact how our microbiome is um, set up. So, um, that was fascinating to me, and uh, that's kind of how I kind of really uh, dove deeper into the whole um, situation with regarding the microbiome. And so as you started to learn more about the microbiome, uh, what were some of the things that you saw that kind of brought your attention to changing your lifestyle? What were some of the targeted things that you started doing with diet and lifestyle to try to um, improve your gut microbial composition? Well, uh, diet is really probably one of the uh, fastest ways to make an impact if you have room to make a change. Um, and I think we all have room to make a change. Um, uh, first thing I, I did, I remember, is I uh, got a bunch of uh, trash bags and uh, went into the pantry and looked at all of the um, foods that were unopened uh, that didn't have uh, good ingredients on the labels um, and, uh, we got them out of the pantry. Um, we have a food bank, uh, in, in town where we live. And so we donated the food there. Um, you know, uh, uh just you know, some people, you know, need food to survive. So, um, uh, we thought that was a good thing to do rather than just throwing it away. 
And then we focused our time and attention on replacing those items in the pantry with um, healthier versions of the things that we actually need, not just more junk to add to the pantry, which is what a lot of people actually do. And then um, uh, we got a whole army of uh, Pyrex containers and the plan was to try to do the food prep, um, you know, well in advance of when you actually want to eat the actual food because that's really the biggest obstacle to overcome. You know, you can say, yeah, I'll eat, an, I'll eat a salad for lunch every day, but somebody's got to make that salad. And, you know, if you're busy and you're on the go and you don't have time to spend chopping vegetables, probably you're not going to do it. So you'll just go with the convenient option, which would be a sandwich or a burger or something like that. You know, Chick-fil-A drive through, you know, <laughs> that's what a lot of people do. Um, so uh, what we did was, you know, I do all the grocery shopping on Saturday um, and then, you know, spend a couple hours shopping for what you need for the week. And uh, then the next day, my wife and I would line it all up, wash everything and be almost like a factory, you know, in the kitchen and then uh, line up all the Pyrex, chop them all up into, you know, um, uh, small pieces for whatever, whatever it is, whether it's uh, lettuce or um, carrots or cucumbers or bell peppers or whatever. Um, even broccoli and cauliflower and cabbage and zucchinis and everything just because you're you're not just focusing on lunch you're focusing on anything you could cook so i did that and then you know you can imagine if you open up a fridge and all you see is you know glass you know on top of each other boom 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 all the way down kind of looks cool cool actually um <laughs> and that's what we that's how we started um uh, so you know you want to have lunch uh pop it together real quick uh you're going to make dinner anyways um and now you have all these vegetables that are already, um, you know, prepared for you. Uh, all you have to do is throw them on the pan or put them in the oven or something like that. Right. So what you're saying is, because it's super important, is the practical side is, I think, really the most difficult thing to do. Because as you say, a lot of people know that eating cheesecake every single day probably isn't the best thing to do. But it's yeah. that convenience factor that I think is super important. That's something that I really hope to do as a health coach. Yeah, so you make health convenient, um, you know, uh, and if you're spending just a couple hours grocery shopping, which you're going to do anyways, and <laughs> for a family of four, I calculated it down like a, a consistently spending about um, two hours or so prepping all the stuff for the week. And then my wife uh, would even, you know, prepare some of the uh, proteins and things like that, uh, uh, you know, in, in bulk once or twice during the week. So you don't have to do that every day. And um, we knew what was going to be healthy. We knew what was good for us, but we wanted to make it convenient for us so that we, what happens when you're more, con uh, when things are more convenient, you tend to be more compliant with it. It's not that you don't want to eat zucchini. It's that when you think I should make zucchini, you'll say, ah, I don't know. It's okay how it is. I don't feel like chopping that up right now. Um, uh, or, you know, it's hard enough. I got to chop up the broccoli. Now I got to chop up the zucchini. We'll just go with one vegetable today. So you find that if you actually, uh, make things more convenient, um, uh, you'll be able to actually eat more and eat more healthy foods. Um, and you won't be hungry. You'll just be full of healthier foods. And it's actually, it could be a time for bonding, you know, uh, hanging out as a family. 
I got the kids involved, you know, you would wash the foods and pick a food and say, you know, hey, okay, we have broccoli here. Touch the broccoli, smell the broccoli, feel the broccoli. Um, now let's talk about broccoli. What, what's helpful in broccoli? Broccoli has vitamins, broccoli has minerals. Broccoli is a source of fiber and teach the kids about it. So when they actually see the broccoli on their plate is cooked, they think of it in a different way. They think of it as something that's healthy, something that came from the earth that I personally washed and touched and cut. And it really makes a different impact. We used to call those uh, in the early days food lessons. So the kids would come for their food lessons while we were prepping the food. That's awesome. Yeah, that's great. So something that I really want to uh, touch on in this episode is uh, immune health and the gut microbiome, because obviously the gut microbiome is involved in pretty much everything. I mean, from your cancer risk to neuropsychiatric disorders and, and other things like that. So something that I hear thrown around a lot is 70 or 80% of your immune system is located in the gut. But what does that actually mean? So that means that, um, uh, that, can mean, that means a lot of things. So we have a lot of immune cells and you can think of uh, their headquarters uh, uh, for a large part um, being in the gut, um, in the digestive tract. The digestive tract is what we mean when we say gut. So your intestines basically. Um, there are, you know, there's a lot of lymphoid tissue in the gut and uh, in that lymphoid tissue lives a lot of those immune cells. Also important though, is that the gut microbiome, which is trillions and trillions of microorganisms, bacteria uh, for the most part, um, but also fungi and viruses also live in the microbiome. This microbiome is really very largely uh, responsible or contributory to the degree of inflammation that we may have in our bodies and in our, in our digestive tract. Um, and, uh, you know, by cultivating a healthy microbiome, we are able to keep inflammation levels low and not high. If they get too high, then we start developing problems and diseases or conditions. Okay. So if we, if these gut microbes, which are, I think, correct me if I'm wrong, there are trillions of them and they actually outnumber human cells. Yep. There are more, uh, there are more. Uh, bacterial cells on your body than there are human cells. You are not a human. You are a my, back, clump of bacteria. <laughs> right, right. So then, or DNA from these microbes too. Then you have human DNA in your body. Right. That's exactly what I wanted to pose. Is it, are we really just a vessel for these microbes? Are they just using us to get around? You know, because they seem to be really at the core of of human health in all ways. Yeah. Who is really evolving, I guess, huh? <laughs> That's right. another discussion. <laughs> right, exactly. So then there's this concept of immune crosstalk, as you were talking about how these gut microbes that we have, this collection of bacteria, fungi, archaea, how they're, they're talking to these immune cells. And so could you explain a little bit more about how that works? Well, um, that is a very complicated uh, process that uh, I don't think is even really fully understood, but we do understand that this type of thing happens. Um, uh, there is crosstalk between the gut and the uh, nervous system or your brain. Um, through the vagus nerve, is, uh, you can consider like a informational superhighway or a very large uh, telephone pole um, uh, that uh, communicates. And we know that changes in the bacteria and the gut can actually influence um, 
our emotions, uh, our sensations for pain, our thoughts and things like that. And this happens very rapidly. Um, uh, then there's a, another way of thinking as well that the microbes actually communicate or can exchange material with each other. A good example is um, in the setting of chronic stress or, um, you know, uh, when, when we have a stress uh, and uh, all the chemicals related to that stress response are released in the gut because all those chemicals and neurotransmitters are also found in the gut as well. When they're released into the gut, then that can be what we call a, like a quorum sensing event. So quorum, you know, means that when you have a meeting, you call to order and everybody who can come to the table who can vote should come and vote. Um, you know, you call, call for a quorum uh, in order to have a majority so you can make a vote. That's how we think of it in politics. So in, in the gut, uh, basically, you can think of it as, uh, as an event where uh, you're basically calling everyone to the table. And it's at that point, uh, that, that, and when these things happen, um, the bad bacteria can actually make the good bacteria bad bacteria. So how we say it in, in medical terms is that uh, non-pathogenic bacteria can actually become pathogenic. So it's almost like these two guys come up to each other and the bad guy says, hey, you want to be like me? I'm cool. I hang with the cool kids. And the good guy says, okay, sure, that looks fine. And then boom, they exchange genetic material. And now the, now the good guy is a bad guy. Wow, that's incredibly interesting. I didn't know so that. So when that happens once, if you're, you know at the zoo and you're being chased by a tiger, that's one thing. But uh, if you have that tiger in your head all day, every day, and that stress, which really doesn't exist, is actually there all the time, I think this is a situation or a setup or one of the reasons why uh, people with uh, chronic stress may also have a lot of uh, digestive problems or gut problems. Right, because uh, chronic stress as opposed to acute stress is, is really not a good thing. When we have stuff that is chronic, chronic inflammation is no good. And it's not only the fact that, you know, there are all of these glucocorticoids, these stress hormones that are flooding the body that affect, you know, virtually anything that has a receptor for it, but it also, there's this gut brain axis that connects, you know, your emotional state to, you know, your gut microbiome. And, and I've, I've noticed that a lot in myself and, and people around me uh, that have autoimmune conditions that, if they're super stressed, like their digestion is off, they might feel even like brain fog after like eating certain foods. But when they're really relaxed, when they're like feeling very grateful for a food and just calm, they actually digest it better. Yeah, exactly. And a lot of people um, with uh, certain autoimmune conditions, uh, they flare up during times of stress as well. So um, that also underscores that importance as well. So there's also this concept of, of epigenetics. So the fact that our genome isn't really, you know, static and still all the time, that there's actually this ever constant interaction between the environment, our emotions and all that stuff and how our genes are actually expressed. So if, if this is true, then, then how does um, those microbes, how do they affect our gene expression, specifically in terms of our immune health? Yeah, so uh, I, I, I don't know that I'll have the answer for that because I don't know that we have the answer to that in every situation. The thing to understand is that we have a lot of genes <clears throat> and we have a lot of microbes, <clears throat> excuse me, and we have a lot of genes and we have a lot of microbes. 
and each of those microbes has a lot of genes. And uh, those genes uh, can create uh, or release uh, uh, different chemicals. We call them metabolites. Uh, and, I, and I think that that's really the answer to your question, a long story short. Um, but if you can imagine uh, all the genes uh, can produce metabolites, or pro which are proteins or enzymes or chemicals, and uh, each microbe may be, it may have the capacity to produce many of these metabolites. And then you have trillions of these microbes. So then you have that many fold uh, metabolites. This is really where the next frontier of science is going to be to try to help understand if we can understand metabolites and how they impact uh, uh, most likely gene expression and how the uh, other microbes uh, operate then I think we'll have a much better picture. Um, you know, we can do some testing uh, for certain metabolites. Um, uh, you know, in my precision medicine practice, we can do some of that. Um, but at the, at the end of the day, they are just some metabolites. They're not every metabolite. And if I were to do every metabolite, which there are, you know, there is a way that we can do that as well. Um, how would you interpret all that you know, encyclopedia volumes worth of information. I don't think we 100% know yet. Um, and also, you know, like we said, the microbes could change gene expression. So if we figure it out with your microbiome today, in three months, maybe that's not the same thing because the microbiome, the microbes, they adapted, they changed, they evolved, their genetic expression may be different. So um, I think this is an important thing to know that it exists but also uh, makes our body so much more complicated when you think of it on those levels. Um, so I think the answer to your question is that most likely um, we'll find that there are chemicals or metabolites that may be released that may alter uh, perhaps gene expression. This is just a, my theory though. Right, okay. And so practically for those people listening that might have gotten a little bit lost. So let's say we eat a certain type of food and that certain type of food is digested by us, but things like fiber um, is food for our microbes, right? And that produces things like butyrate or short chain fatty acids uh, that our microbes produce. How exactly do those fit in with uh, our immune system? So here's, well, here's an example. Um, I just gave a lecture and I used uh, butyrate as an example. So since you brought that one up, we'll, we'll use that. So, um, I think most people know what cirrhosis is. Cirrhosis is when you get really bad scarring in your liver and the liver doesn't work very well. Um, classic example might be like from hepatitis C or from alcoholism and drinking too much alcohol and your liver um, gets scarred and doesn't work very well. Um, there was a nice study that was done, I think 2019 uh, la uh, last year, um, where they looked at butyrate levels in those people who have cirrhosis. And they found that the higher the butyrate level, the lower the risk of complications from cirrhosis, like skin turning yellow or jaundice, getting the ascites or fluid buildup in your belly, um, getting the confusion that comes with liver, uh, liver disease, the liver confusion called encephalopathy, and a number of other things. And that was very interesting because it suggested that the higher your butyrate levels, the lower the risk of complications from liver disease, the better your prognosis. Um, and so 
what's a good source of butyrate? A good source of butyrate is from the microbiome, from the microbes. So, uh, you know, whether you're taking a supplement of it or you're eating a lot of vegetables and fruits and you're having good butyrate production in your gut as a result of that, um, uh, these are things that may potentially, you know, we can infer uh, may potentially uh, help reduce uh, the complications of liver disease because that chemical, that, that compound, the short chain fatty acid, the butyrate, um, plays a role in doing that. Now, exactly how that happens or why that happens or what every chemical pathway or mechanism behind that is, I don't think we know that, but we, we do see that correlation. And is it only from fibers, from the fibers from food that are, that we feed our microbiome so that they can produce things like butyrate? Yeah. So through the process of fermentation or digestion of these fibers, you have production of butyrate. Butyrate is considered a postbiotic. We have prebiotics, probiotics, and now we have postbiotics. Postbiotic basically means that it's something that the micro, the, the bacteria makes. So it's like an end product. And it's the same concept we're talking about. It's, uh, you know, um, uh, same, same principles, you know, as far as metabolites are concerned. Metabolites are basically, you know, chemicals uh, that are made by the microbes. So if butyrate is generally a good thing for your gut microbiome, it's generally a good thing for um, the health of your immune cells, then what are some things that you can start doing in your life? Like, is it only fiber or are there other foods that you can eat? There is a lot of things that go into making the microbiome um, healthy. Um, you know, uh, it's not just going to be one thing. Uh, the microbiome is too complicated to be that easily hacked. And um, some people feel that the microbiome is not even a hackable type of organ system because it continually adapts and changes to your environment. So you may think I'm going to turn left and it'll go left with me, but it may go right because you don't know that there are 10 other things going on uh, somewhere else that are causing it to go that direction. So, you know, the microbiome is a, a good source of uh, butyrate production. Um, if we have a diverse microbiome that is able to perform those functions of digesting the fibers properly to make the butyrate in the first place. Um, so that, you know, the, the, how to do that is a lot of different things, but some of the basic things are just following proper lifestyle principles. Um, uh, eating the right diet because the diet is the food that needs to be dig digested and eaten um, in order to make the butyrate, reducing stress, exercising, making sure you're sleeping, um, you know, the proper amounts. We usually want to try to hit seven, seven, eight hours of sleep a night, um, avoiding toxins, which are poisons to the gut, um, you know, and things like that. So these are the, uh, some of the basic lifestyle principles that we often may take for granted and not really um, give as much credit to, but there is a reason why these things are actually good for us because they actually make biochemical changes in our body. We may not know it, but they do. Right. And we already touched on this a little bit, uh, but this idea that we have this whole host of organisms living inside us and they kind of compete for um, nutrition, right? And they can kind of be excluded if some good bacteria can kind of not allow some of the bad bacteria to pop up. And that's, that's a concept called competitive exclusion. So can you expand on that a little bit? So, uh, you know, that's part of the microbiome game. 
Um, so, uh, you know, in general, we want a good, healthy, diverse microbiome. What does that mean? That means we want a lot of different microbes that can produce a lot of different functions. Because if we have a lot of microbes that can do a lot of different functions, then we'll have a lot of different things going on uh, that are hopefully good. Um, you know, like making butyrate and anti-inflammatory compounds and things like that. Um, sometimes, you know, you may have uh, too many bad guys there that are overgrowing uh, due to poor diet or chronic stress or what, whatever the reason may be. Um, and it's hard to make that microbiome more diverse without making some more aggressive changes that may be able to help you manipulate the microbiome. Uh, that could involve, you know, uh, more intense lifestyle regimen, you know, maybe some fasting, uh, you know, uh, various different techniques that may help kind of optimize your lifestyle factors. Sometimes when we have an overgrowth of bacteria or an imbalance, we may give antimicrobials. I often try to use herbal therapies because uh, they're just gentler on the system than antibiotics. But there are different things. And then we can use probiotics and prebiotics and things like that, fermented foods, to really kind of help those, micro those microbes that are uh, good for us to prosper um, and uh, support their growth. And, uh, you know, one of the uh, tests that I do to evaluate the, you know, microbiome's functions, um, uh, it's a functional microbiome analysis. And what we're really looking for are some of the different functions that um, uh, are helpful uh, for us uh, and what capacity those microbes can do that. Um, and one of them is uh, called a... Uh, pathobiome. So basically, you're looking at how well controlled your um, good guys are keeping the bad guys. Because we're all going to have bad guys inside of us. It's, uh, I think, impossible to live in a state where there's nobody in any jail or prison anywhere. So there's always going to be some bad guys somewhere. Um, uh, but it's not as important you know, who is there, but how well controlled they are. Um, you know, does the jail have walls or is the jail just an open field and anybody can leave whenever they want, you know, type of a situation. And so uh, we can support those good guys doing their jobs by helping them grow and prosper to keep those bad guys in check. So it's okay if they're there. Um, uh, it's better if they're better controlled. And so Looking at the microbiome from this practical uh, viewpoint, which is what I do, um, uh, can be helpful as well. Um, so we understand how much we have to do to support the good guys so that we can uh, make sure the bad guys are better controlled. And um, that kind of gets to your overgrowth type of uh, question because we want to look and see. You know, you may get freaked out. Oh, I have, you know, E. coli in my gut and E. coli is associated with X, Y, Z. Um, you know, but if your pathogen control index is, you know, 10, then it doesn't really matter as much because those guys are being controlled and we can support that gut by maybe giving you particular kinds of probiotics or diet recommendations that can help those good guys stay strong and control the bad guys. So what you're saying really is that this idea of 
bad bacteria and good bacteria is kind of a little bit too simplistic. It may be true, but really what's most true is having this synergy, having this balance between this homeostasis, really. Balance is the word. Yeah, that, that's the word. It's, about, it's balance or homeostasis. And you hit it right on, right on the head because that is what the body wants to do. The body <clears throat> is constantly trying to be in homeostasis because that is where we may thrive the best and the body knows that um and so you're whether you're talking about the immune system or the microbiome or or whatever your vitamin levels your nutrient levels the body doesn't want you to be sick otherwise what happens if the, if the body's sick and the body dies then everything that's in there trying to work for you is going to go too so the body wants to be you know in homeostasis and that's what um, that's what it's designed to uh, do, but we are not in, uh, you know, an experimental bubble either. And so there are a lot of things that perhaps, you know, evolution didn't take into account that we would industrialize, that there would be tons and tons of toxins out there that as we advanced in that, in that process of uh, becoming more of a civilization, that there would be a lot of stresses and different kinds of stresses that would come up, different medications that we design to help one thing but hurt another thing. So these are things that, you know, perhaps, you know, um, uh, our, our designer didn't necessarily take into consideration, or maybe, maybe, it's, maybe so, I don't know. We'll never know the answer to that one, though. <laughs> <laughs> right. And... Uh... Real quick, I want to touch on something that I think has been making a lot of headlines, this idea of this cytokine storm that occurs uh, in people who have a, an overactive immune response to, to viruses and coronavirus also specifically. So does, is there any way that um, our gut microbiome uh, interacts with, with cytokines and possibly uh, you know, balancing this, this immune response? Well, um, like we're like, like the theme always comes back uh, to the microbes and what they release and what they produce um, and what they can incite. And so these microbes can certainly play a role in the inflammatory process. And cytokines are just inflammatory chemicals that are released in the process of uh, an inflammation happening. And so uh, uh, certainly uh, they may play a role in the release of all, all of these kinds of uh, inflammatory chemicals more than just cytokines, but um, cytokines is a good example of that. So um, yeah, so I guess your point that you're probably kind of getting to is that if we try to make a healthy gut and try to keep a healthy microbiome, perhaps we may be able to reduce our risk of having these kind of things happen. Right, right. Um, so now I kind of want to get into the more of the practical side, what people can actually do uh, after listening to some of this, it may not be so clear. So including certain foods, adopting certain healthy lifestyle practices are important, but maybe what you omit from your lifestyle may be just as important. So what are some things some people should really avoid in terms of food, for example? Yeah, that's a good one. Um, actually, you know, you could probably, if you're a soda drinker, you could probably lose 10 pounds just stopping to drink soda in a couple of weeks. I've seen it happen. Uh, that's part of what happened to me too. I think sugar-sweetened beverages are probably the uh, worst worst part of um, uh, choices that people make for in their diet, because you're literally drinking calories uh, very quickly, and uh, not only is there a lot of sugar there, which is bad 
for a lot of different things, but there are also a lot of chemicals in addition to sugar that are in these um, sugar sweetened beverages that are also not good for you. So I think avoiding that, those kind of things, um, and avoiding processed packaged foods, fast foods, things like that. That's probably like a really good start, uh, as far as avoiding things. Um, I could say avoid stress, but that's also probably impossible statement. Um, can't really avoid stress, but what you can do is avoid how you respond or actually how you react to stress. And that's the important concept. Oftentimes when there's a stressful event, we react to it rather than sitting uh, for a second and thinking, how should I respond to it? And so if you avoid how you react, a lot of times I would imagine that, uh, that you would have a better outcome if you thought, how should I respond rather than how, how am I going to react? Um, so that, that may help reduce, um, you know, uh, bad things from happening inside your body biochemically as a result of the stress response. Um, uh, avoid sitting around too long. Um, uh, we're often, you know, doing these Zoom meetings all day long um, in the coronavirus times here. Um, for every hour that you sit, you should get up and walk around or be mobile for at least 10 minutes. It's kind of my rule of thumb. Um, make sure that you keep moving. We weren't designed to you know, sit in front of a desk for eight, 10 hours a day. We, we need to move around. Uh, and a regular exercise regimen uh, uh, every day is also beneficial, but you also want to make sure that you're moving around during the day if you're sitting, especially if you're sitting around a lot. Um, and uh, avoid things that can really disrupt sleep, um, like drinking caffeine uh, or alcohol close to the end of the day, um, overeating at the end of the day, <clears throat> um, you know, using your electronics and your tablets and all these kind of things that can really disrupt, uh, you know, uh, melatonin production and, and how you uh, get to bed. Um, these are things that you that are easy easy to say but hard to actually do, and it's impossible I think to try to do all of these things at one time. So I often tell people, you know, pace yourself. Just pick one thing a week, and uh, go with that. <clears throat> and if you can make one change a week, at the end of the year, you'll have made fifty two changes and you'll be a totally different person. Yeah, I totally agree with that. And something that you said that I think is really important and it's a really interesting concept is the fact that most of life is how you respond to something and the rest of it, that small piece is actually like what happens. You know, you actually have a lot more control than we think, but it's it's more, yeah, sure, we may not have control what happens, but we do with we do what we can like with what we have and how we respond to something. So I think that's super important. Are you a big fan of chocolate? Now, if you're a human being, you probably just answered yes. But I'm not talking about Snickers or M&Ms or any of that crap that a lot of us grew up with, including myself. I'm talking about a super buzzword loaded, incredible dark chocolate from Hue Kitchen. Now this stuff is gluten-free, keto, kosher, non-GMO, organic, paleo, vegan, I hope that's enough buzzwords for you today. But this stuff is not only super clean and healthy and very, very lightly processed, it has some of the best ingredients and the most important part is it's absolutely delicious. And they have flavors like 
almond butter plus puffed quinoa dark chocolate. They have chocolate covered hunks of almonds with sea salt. They have these gems which are dark chocolate chips and hazelnut butter and many other flavors. Now, if you're looking to still uh, eat healthy, but you know, you wanna treat yourself now and then, then this is the single best cheat snack that you could have while still sticking to your health goals. So since you're listening to this amazing podcast, you can use the code Jorge15, that's J-O-R-G-E 15 at Hugh Kitchen, and you will get 15% off your order. Check them out and enjoy the chocolate. Now, uh, something else that I've heard you talk about on another podcast is uh, some alternative sweeteners that, you know, may be touted as being better because there's zero sugar, zero calorie. But, you know, are those things like like monk fruit, stevia, Splenda, um, because they may not affect blood sugar and insulin the same way, but do they still affect the microbiome? Um, many of these may, um, you know, uh, Splenda is sucralose. Um, uh, and, uh, it's a famous one. Um, uh, you know, I, it's almost like double the amount of sugar really, um, uh, for your body. So it's really not necessarily a health food for sure. Um, I think, you know, stevia is one that really hasn't been implicated in too many bad things. Um, but many of the other artificial sugars, um, uh, really do create a metabolic confusion. Um, you know, uh, your, your body knows there's something sweet coming in and uh, may mount a response to sugar and calories, yet uh, perhaps those aren't there. And, um, you know, uh, you're trying to avoid these insulin surges and, and things like that. And uh, that may not necessarily uh, be the case that taking Splenda, for example, is going to eliminate uh, these types of things from happening. And um, these things don't cultivate a healthy, diverse microbiome either. So we want to try to stay away from, uh, you know, these things as much as possible. Um, use natural sources uh, if, you, if you need to sweeten something. Um, you know, uh, for example, like if I'm going to make a smoothie uh, and I don't want it to be too um, to bitter or tart, you know, I may add some, you know, uh, berries to it, uh, uh, that, uh, may naturally sweeten it or a little bit of banana or something, which is kind of a, uh, sugar source as well, but at least it's a banana and not Splenda, you know? <laughs> right. There's a lot of other <clears throat> so, good factors that go into a banana rather than just pure sugar or Splenda. Yeah. yeah. So I think, uh, you know, it's a lot of good marketing that makes people think that artificial sweeteners are better for you. Um, and perhaps it's better than tons of sugar, um, but is it uh, better as in you should do a lot of it all the time? I, I don't think so. So basically, the first step, the first easiest step for people is try to eat as uh, less processed food as you possibly can. Try eating more whole foods, like vegetables, fruits, you know, some meat. Uh, like things like eggs. And that's, that's really, I think is honestly a very easy, but simple step. The only really difficult thing about that is doing the meal prep, things like that to make it simple and convenient to do. And so you talked a little bit about toxins earlier. What are some of those that we should really steer clear of? Um, so, you know, there's toxins come in a lot of different forms. There are, you know, 
pollution toxins in the air. Um, uh, so, you know, for those uh, kinds of things, it's good to have air purifiers in your house, have plants in the house that are good at helping to detoxify the air. Um, there's toxins in your food. Um, uh, so by avoiding uh, processed and packaged foods, you're reducing drastically a lot of the toxins you're exposed to there. It's good to really get in the habit of looking at the labels. Even the smartest of people uh, can get tricked and fooled on these labels. They, you know, rule of thumb is that if you look at something on the back of a label and uh, you don't think your grandmother would have known what it is, then you probably shouldn't be eating it. <laughs> So that's one, uh, that's one trick. Um, and uh, toxins can also be in your, um, you know, your beauty products, your soaps, um, your lotions and creams. I, I often will direct people to the Environmental Working Group's website, ewg.org. Um, they have a really nice website where they uh, kind of go over um, what are some of the better products and not. Um, and they also go over, you know, the uh, Dirty Dozen and Clean 15, which are the foods that you should focus on as being uh, organic uh, versus uh, things that you could probably relax uh, on the organic over to try to help make shopping a little bit more, um, you know, cost friendly for you. Um, you know, even your clothes, your furniture, your paint on the wall, you know, <clears throat> some of these things, you know, you may say, well, this guy's just being impractical. We can't do all this. <clears throat> but in truth, if you really wanted to, you could do a pretty darn good job. <clears throat> Excuse me. There are, you know, eco-friendly furniture. There are VOC-free paints. There are, you know, uh, uh, there are, you know, types of flooring that are more healthy for you than less healthy for you. And if you take the time and effort to study these and research these, and if you're gonna do a renovation in your house, for example, have the opportunity to make a, a choice of whether I should use this paint or that paint, even if it's like a dollar a can more, you, you then have the option to make an intervention that may be healthy for you because that paint's going to off gas for a long time and you're going to smell that for a long time. And maybe that paint itself isn't going to like give you lupus or something like that. But the paint, in addition to your diet habits and your sleep habits and the stress level and how much alcohol you drink or whatever, may be one of the last straws that breaks your camel's back. And that's what makes you sick. That's what really got that fire that was in a low grade uh, kindling and made it a big flame. So all of these things do impact us because these toxins directly uh, can impact the microbiome um, and cause an imbalance. Remember we said it's all about homeostasis or balance. And so when you get too many of these things tipping the balance in the wrong direction, then um, you have uh, a higher risk of developing the problem. Right, and I just interviewed Dr. Ailey Cohen a few weeks ago, and you know something that I talked about with her was all of these things, maybe in isolation, they may not be as much of a problem, right? I mean, we do have detox pathways through our liver. I mean, we can effectively do that. Well, one, that is if we're really truly healthy, but number two, we often don't look at all of these things compounding like you have 
things like flame retardants, for example, on your skin, or we have, you know, uh, impure drinking water. We also have chronic stress. We also have poor sleep. We also have pesticides. We don't think about all of those things coming together and potentially, like you said, being that last straw on the camel's back, which really ends up toppling someone's health. We may do a good job at understanding what to do when the level of the river goes up a bit, putting up sandbags so that the houses in the community don't get flooded. But what happens? We see it every year. When there's a torrential downpour, flash flooding occurs because the system just gets overwhelmed. There's nothing that we could do. Uh, you know, what are you going to do? Put sandbags all the way to the moon? Uh, you know, you don't know when it's going to happen or, or, or exactly uh, what are the steps that are going to lead to that, uh, uh, that breach of the, the water level. But um, you know that it can occur when too many uh, factors are at play. And that's the same way the health of your body is. Uh, we have mechanisms for detoxification. We have mechanisms to stop inflammation. We have all of these things built in, but if they just get overwhelmed too fast or over a period of time, too many things accumulate, um, then you get a flood and then you have a problem. You have a disease or a condition now. One last question before we get into some of the positive stuff. Um, so glyphosate is super controversial still, even though there's a lot of mounting research that it can kind of work as some sort of antibiotic by inhibiting some enzyme in certain microbes and not allowing certain amino acids to be formed. So in, in your opinion, how much of that, like how worried should people be to try to eat organic? And I know the environmental working group has like a list of the most heavily um, sprayed foods. So what's your opinion on that? My opinion is that we really should try to uh, avoid these toxins and particularly, you know, in our food supply, it's one great source of exposure. Um, one, one thing that we can do is to eat organic uh, or non-GMO as much as possible, if not all the time. Um, even when you do that, um, you're probably still being exposed to glyphosate. Um, you know, in my, in my clinic, Precision Clinic, where we take a personalized approach to health, um, checking these levels is one thing that I do. And uh, tell you the truth, I have not yet found somebody with an undetectable glyphosate level. Even people who, you know, uh, are the healthiest of people just wanting to optimize their health even further. Um, I, I feel, in my personal opinion, that this stuff is just ubiquitous in our environment. Certainly, people have higher levels and people have lower levels, and we want to be on the lower side. But, you know, this stuff may be in the air because your neighbor sprayed it when you walked by. It could be in the playground your kids go to. It's probably in the schoolyard. It's probably on majority of grass surfaces in this country. It may not be in your food, but it's in your yard or your neighbor's yard or, uh, or the post office's yard or some, you know, in one way or another. And we get just get exposed to it um, uh, uh, on an ongoing chronic basis. And, you know, um, it is like an antibiotic or, uh, you know, it kills the microbes. It's a, it's a toxin to the gut. And not only that, uh, but when you're using it on your foods, remember, we have a microbiome, but the plant also has a microbiome. The soil the plant is growing in 
also has a microbiome. So if you change the soil's microbiome and you change the plant's microbiome, what are you going to get when you eat that plant on top of having that poison too? Yeah, that's a, that's a really worth asking. Yeah. Right. I mean, so uh, I think talking about glyphosate wasn't necessarily the best segue to positivity. <laughs> no, <laughs> not very much positivity surrounding um, uh, glyphosate, but um, uh, you know, there's a lot of stuff out there about the impacts of uh, glyphosate and um, some of the downstream uh, problems that can occur. Right, because it's really become so pervasive and a lot more studies are, are showing that, like you said, you're exactly right there. It's in our air, it's in our water. I mean, really, no matter how, how clean you can eat, there's going to be some amount of it. So I think really the goal should be, let's try to lower the load, that stressor load, because that is in itself a type of stressor. So if we can lower that and try to do a bunch of other things in your lifestyle, like eating organic, lowering stress, I mean, it may not have as much of an effect because if you're resilient, if you're more healthy, it might not affect you as much. Exactly. So um, uh, you, you got it right on. So that's what we try to do. Uh, I don't, I don't do these environmental toxin tests on people to freak them out because everybody's going to have something there because we're all human and we live on this planet. And unfortunately this planet is dirty. Um, and if it takes doing these tests to help you understand that we need to protect our environment, then um, I guess that's, that's an accomplishment there. Um, but these tests I do as part of my, you know, precision evaluation is really designed for the purpose of bringing awareness to your environment that you're specifically in. How do we personalize recommendations for you and your lifestyle? Part of that is understanding where are you living? What, what's, what's around you? Um, what are things that we can change um, or have the option to change? And if you don't believe that um, the pesticides that your landscaper are spraying in your backyard are really bad for you, and you do this test and you see that your organophosphates and glyphosate levels are through the roof, um, and uh, you understand that, well, you know, uh, oh, I guess it is getting inside of my body. It could be impacting my health, my inflammation levels, my autoimmunity. You can make a change because you don't have to manage your lawn with glyphosate. I have not used that stuff in ages before I even knew what, what it was or what it did. Um, we're not overrun by cockroaches in our house or anything like that. We live in California. Um, you know, there, there are a lot of uh, elements out there. And I lived in Florida before that, which uh, is even a higher risk for crazy bugs uh, uh, around your property. And um, we didn't have a problem. You can use natural ways of uh, perturbing these, you know, bugs and stuff that people don't want in their house um, that may be healthier for you and your family and your pets. So finally, some positive stuff. So you talked a little <laughs> bit about uh, probiotics, prebiotics, and even postbiotics. So I know maybe um, certain, it might be better to, you know, do some sort of holistic approach to nutrition where you remove processed foods, but let's say someone already did that and they're already eating pretty healthy. What are some like maybe specific foods or even like certain supplements like colostrum or enzymes or things like that, that could potentially really help someone optimize their health? Um, 
so uh well foods and supplements i guess are two different categories um but uh foods we talked about a little bit already uh so maybe we don't want to kind of go over that we want to really focus on as far as diet is concerned uh you know a lot of whole foods plant-based approach uh and having a variety of different vegetables and fruits to help build the diversity in the microbiome as far as supplements are concerned um, uh, one thing that I try to emphasize is that we use natural treatments for our common problems as much as possible. Um, that's one intervention we can make to, to make our, our microbiome healthy. If you get uh, knee pain because you have a little arthritis in your knee and Advil makes it get better, well, why don't you try some turmeric uh, or boswellia or both uh, with some fish oil? These are things you probably should be taking anyways, as long as you don't have a contraindication to any of these things. Um, and they may help your pain just as well. And now you don't have a pollutant that's floating around in your body. You have something that not only fixes your problem just as well, but also may fix a lot of other things. There's a lot of good evidence about uh, curcumin and you know, inflammation in the body in general, and even in uh, you know, cancer prevention and things like that. So uh, replacing toxins that we don't think of as necessarily as toxins, but replacing these things which could be toxic to our body with natural treatments that work just as well or better, that's one step, I guess, that we can do. Um, uh, and, uh, you know, certain kinds of probiotics may be helpful for different people. Colostrum is something that definitely could be helpful as well. Um, it really depends. Uh, so, you know, you, you can't really make a universal blanket comment for everyone because we're all so very different. And that's uh, the exciting part of um, why I started the clinic, Precision Clinic, because really what that does is help you understand what you need to do or should do based on what's going on inside of your body rather than making blanket uh, recommendations for you know, everybody and saying that everybody should follow the same protocol because it doesn't really work that way. Um, even if we wanted to, that's not how the body works. We're all so different. We have to really know what we need to support our health. Some people may need probiotics. Some people may not need probiotics. Some people we should start with prebiotics. Sometimes we may need to wait a little bit to give some prebiotics. It really depends on the situation. But these are some of the things, you know, um, uh, antioxidants, B vitamins, um, uh, supplements to support mitochondrial health. Sometimes they give nicotinamide riboside um, uh, to help support uh, those energy powerhouses in our cells uh, called the mitochondria. Um, uh, we use L-glutamine and zinc carnosine and um, things like that. Uh, if there is uh, some leakiness to the gut that we see when we do some of this testing, if we feel that somebody has leaky gut or intestinal permeability, um, so there are a lot of different things that we can do to try to help um, fix some of the problems that we identify. The point is to be aware that we can identify some of these things and then to work towards figuring them out um, because otherwise it's a little bit harder. So to wrap up, I don't want to take up much more of your time. These are really very simple things that you can do. I mean, switch from a very highly processed standard American diet SAD, SAD, which is very, very well named. Um, I mean, start going, start eating whole foods, reduce your stress, exercise, move a little bit. It doesn't have to be like super heavy, no pain, no gain, exercise every single day. But 
I mean, these are really truly simple things. And, and I think the biggest takeaway from, from uh, your talk in this episode is, is really start doing these simple things. Gut health is brain health. Gut health is metabolic health. Gut health is immune health. So if you start really doing all of these small things, they can compound and add up to do pretty good. There's a reason we say all disease begins in the gut. <laughs> yep. He, Hippocrates was Hippo absolutely Hippocrates right. was right. He may not have known what he was talking about, but he, he must have had some vision of uh, how we're all put together and uh, he was spot on. Absolutely. So something that I do with all of the guests is do just a few quick rapid fire questions at the end. So the first one is, what is the one aspect of health which you have found has the greatest impact on your health, your family's, or your patient's health? Mindfulness, stress reduction. Uh, I think uh, the, there's so much power behind um, starting a practice like that uh, on many different levels, even for uh, your longevity. Um, there's a lot of great data in a lot of different arenas with regards to how stress reduction can influence your health. So your health. So uh, I think that's probably the top thing. And then what does leaving a legacy mean to you and what message do you want to leave behind once you pass away? Um, well, that's one way to finish the show on a high note. <laughs> <laughs> Let's talk about when I die. Uh, no, you know, um, uh, I, think, I think what I've uh, started working towards doing here, being a leader in the field of <clears throat> precision medicine and uh, personalized approach to your health is really my legacy. <clears throat> I, you know, uh, I uh, established the term precisionomics, which is really our way of practicing medicine for you. Um, precision medicine is really a game changer in, in how we define health or what it means to be healthy. Uh, and uh, I think that's my legacy is in helping people understand that um, we can look at your personalized risk factors for various different things and <clears throat> make a very specific plan for you that can help you uh, to try to prevent or at least prolong the onset of certain conditions like heart disease, breast cancer, Alzheimer's disease, and things like that. And uh, uh, I think that's a fine legacy to have uh, as being a pioneer in this field. Um, that is where medicine is going to be practiced uh, universally in the decades to come. Uh, and I'm happy to be one of those on the forefront. So if they want to put something on my tombstone, they could put that. <laughs> it's going to be a long tombstone. <laughs> Thank you very much for your time. Uh, so where can people find you? Um, easiest way is to uh, find me at my websites, precisionclinic.com, uh, P-R-E-C-I-S-I-O-N-E, clinic c-l-i-n-i-c dot com as uh, precision with an e and then um i'm pretty active on social media um uh, at dr marvin singh d-r-m-a-r-v-i-n-s-i-n-g-h perfect i'll have the links to all those in the show notes and once again i really appreciate your time likewise thanks for uh, having me on the show navigating the world of health and wellness is anything but straightforward so if you're a little bit confused as to you know, what things are harmful? Is this food good? Is this food bad? Well, spoiler alert, it's not that simple. However, I and many others have done the heavy lifting. So I put together a book called Return to Human, how modern medicine, the media, and the mundane have destroyed our immune systems and how to move back towards optimal health. The full version is available on Amazon. 
Now it's around 70 or 80 pages. And so it's really a simple guidebook that you can use and an introduction to all of the major aspects of health, which is why I think it's so helpful for people who are kind of confused and lost. Here's what I cover. I cover the top six aspects of health, which if compounded, if combined together, and all of these things are done properly, then you can have amazing effect on your overall health. Because, you know, unlike what many health gurus claim, one thing will not make a healthy person. Multiple things will give you a 1%, a 2%, even a 10% if you're lucky, increase in your overall quality of life. Now that's what I set out to do when I wrote this book. So I cover those top six. I tell you very, very simple things that one, damage your immune health and your overall health. Two, how you can do the appropriate thing based on research, right? And it's not a medical recommendation. Of course, I want you to do your own research. You are responsible for you, but it's a great starting point if you're a little bit confused. Now, I understand that right now you may not want to dish out a few dollars, even though it is $3 right now on Amazon. That's okay. Because mindset is inextricably tied to your immune health, so your emotional state, your mindset, all of that directly affects how your immune system functions in response to a virus or bacterial infection and so forth. So I made that chapter 100% free for you to download. It gives you some very simple tools that you can use to reduce stress, to calm the nervous system, all in a way that's free or very, very affordable. Now, if you want that, you can click the link in the description, which says free download to chapter two, or simply head over to livedamwell.com. I hope you check it out. I hope it helps. And I'll see you in the next episode. Now, if you enjoyed this episode and you've enjoyed some of my other episodes, it would be very, very helpful to me if you could share this with your loved ones, share this with your family and friends, and give this a review on Apple Podcasts and iTunes. That would be very, very helpful.